Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Hope my stories help you. I've had uh, the privilege of having a life of adventure with God. Uh, some people think they haven't gotten that, and they just don't remember it correctly. I'm pretty good at, at uh, me- remembering, and like I said, September's a high time for that for me. So you get some of my weird romanticism. And I was thinking this morning about how important spirituality is and how important the mystery of God is, and that, that that's entwined in the longing and desire within the human framework. We love the mystery. You know, we, we love it. It's when we play act when we're a kid. We love a mystery. We were ever the pirates of the Caribbean. Did you ever pretend? Were you Lone Ranger or Tano or, or Annie Oakley? Oh, Dead Eye Annie. It's all part of the journey. And, and we like that aspect of God. Uh, I really like hearing his voice. And I want to tell you that most often it's gentle. He, do, he doesn't have to yell at us. And most often it's just gentle and full of care. Um, did one or both of your parents yell a lot? Yeah. yeah, mine did. God the Father is just not like that. He just doesn't have to yell at us very much. Um, but he can, if he needs to have his voice heard really loud, he can make it thunder. That's what some people heard. Remember at, at Jesus' time, he, some, some heard a thunder and others heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. So it, it's so good, isn't it? Hey, I'm going to continue on with these teachings. Um, you don't know why, but they, as I've gone further along each week, it's become more important to me. And I see so much there. And it's taking a long time to get through this. It may take us a bit longer. And it's worth the time. So if you've missed one, I've been trying to be faithful to get it up on the website. You can go back and catch it and catch up. If you care about teaching. If you don't, I don't care. But I, I care in the sense of I care about teaching. What I'm saying is not that I don't care about your life. I don't want to sound met to sound flippantly. It's just I don't. I'm not one of those preachers go, this is the very most important message I've ever had. And, you, you know, I don't do that. So, except now, these are some of the most important messages I've ever had. To it's funny. It's, uh, you know, we seem to be growing less. And for me, the, the things that the Lord's showing me are growing in importance. Isn't that just like the economy of God? And... Uh, you know, some of the most profound things Jesus said was when everybody was turning away. You know, he, he gives some of his most profound teachings and tons of them who just wanted to be fed or needed a miracle 
walked away from him and he had to ask his disciples, his close friends, are you going to leave too? Do you want to go away? You know, the answer is, Lord, you have the words of life. Where do we go? We've never heard this. So I don't want to equate these teachings to that, but I hope you can engage in them and I hope that they're meaningful and um, I have a confession, and I'll probably edit this out of the tape. It gets really hard to teach when the numbers keep going down, 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 down. It's, re it's really hard for me to engage, but there's been a grace to do it. And I don't know why that's happening. You know, maybe I preached it down. You know, you go through all those weird human feelings. Um, but I want it to be meaningful. So I want, us to, I want you to agree with me in prayer one more time. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know because some of it's really important that it's a monologue because it's a it's a, and I thank you for asking that. It's a it's revelatory to me, and I want to give it that way so it can be revelatory for you. And so the best thing to do is when I ask the question, then yeah, then I'm I'm I normally don't just ask a question. I'll tell you if it's a rhetorical question, and then I'll invite you if it's a question like, "What do you think?" Does that help? Yeah, I learn better sometimes when I get clarification to what has been said. Absolutely, I understand that, and I hope my heart is open to uh, engage and hear. And sometimes, sometimes it's good to ask the question in the midst. I, and I agree 100%. Sometimes it's good to ask the question alone afterwards right. and to engage in that way uh, so that it doesn't uh, do something for the, that. That And then I, I'm getting older, you guys, so me keeping a train of thought. I mean, after I took those shots a year ago, boy, am I being transparent this morning. <laughs> I took the, yes, I took the vaccine shots, and the last one was September last year, and then from December, January, and February, I started to have, ask Brenda, I'd go home on Sundays, and i go, did that make any sense? Because I would lose my train of thought as I was, and lose my place in my notes, and then I, I started being very Biden-esque in my, you know, it's like, you know, where did, what, what did I say? Did I say that? Uh, and it was really disconcerting for me through the spring and the summer. And that's been lifting. So I think it's that icky stuff that they put in our system. No matter where you're at, don't, don't quote me politically. But it feels like it's starting to get out of my system because I haven't had as much of that. So that's why I'm so excited about what God's showing me because I'm like, what? Uh, that's how... So that's Lloyd being weird, but that's how I get. I, I sit up in the study room upstairs, and I go, I read the scripture, I go, what? Are you kidding me? And it's just like it's going hoo, 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 over me. And then other things that I'm reading uh, confirm it. And it's just like, what? What? And that's happening a lot. Or I'm watching... You know, the things that I'm taking into my life. But I also think, and this is why I want to explain it, and thank you, it's kind of a metaphor for how God speaks to us. There, there are the, those times, and uh, I think it's the only thing about, like, church and church attendance uh, 
over which I get kind of, not, not stringent, but I get, it's like, don't miss because you'll miss. But that's not true, and you have to have freedom, and so I never try to be heavy-handed with that. But my desire is that you are able to hear it every Sunday because I know God can take that one little thing and one little thing that you're going through, and he can connect them that 17 years from now, and God goes, boom, and you go, oh my gosh, that was you. Oh my gosh gosh that was you and it's and that's so there's a there's an aspect of studying the bible uh if you go into ministry and as you're as you're taught how to study it and what to use um they use king david actually as a as a metaphor for this but it's called building a secret testimony in god it's a it's a, a phrase that's used, the secret testimonies. So, you know, have you ever thought it weird that God uncovered everybody in the Old Testament so you could look at them? Because he's such a gentleman, he doesn't do that, but they got chosen to be uncovered. Do you know that there's, no, there's not a functional family in the Bible? There's not a fully functional family. They all have discord, you know, sin wrecked families, still doing it today. That's what sin's, sin's purpose in the earth isn't just to wreck an individual, it's to wreck families. And so even when you see the godly ones that are called out, God gets, lets, he, he uncovers them. So you see this, and Isaiah prophesied it and actually taught it regarding David. In Isaiah 55, he says, it says, the Lord says, I have made him an example in the earth for the rest of you. We got, we got to see some of David's hidden sins. Not all of them, because God's a gentleman. Uh, and you go, you know, everybody says, I want a heart like David. No, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. You want a heart like Jesus. You, know, you don't want a heart like David. Jesus is the only fully functional human being in the Bible. Adam and Eve before the fall. But that's like two pages in the story that we get. So last week, and we looked at in this understanding of what I've described as God's economy and how he lays out and he uses economic principles to display the principles of how he operates in the earth, how he interacts with our life, the wisdom that's there, the steps oftentimes that are there that we can see. And so I talked about three of them, about three principles of how God rewards faithfulness. And using the scripture from 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, about how when we add, if you take it back up to verse 1, God multiplies. It's an economic principle in his kingdom that isn't found in any other economic principles. You know, if you add things on a contract, those get added up, and the bottom line is, here's what you're going to get. But in God, when we add something, he says, oh, I'm going to multiply to you. 
And so we looked at the verse in Mark 4 where he describes this type of how he measures things out. So listen to it again. I think, well, that's up to, that's where it should be. So I'm, I'm going to read this back just so that we can all reconnect. Uh, Mark 4 also, he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything but kept secret, but that it should come to the light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. It's an amazing principle. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now he's not saying he's going to take it away. What it is, is when we have something from God and we disregard it and cast it aside, it disappears. You lose it. Have you ever had a favorite little token or little something that you wanted to keep, a little keepsake? And you put it in that special place in the house and then you got old like Lloyd and you totally forgot where it's at? Because you didn't ever go look at it again? And it meant something to you at the time, but you went, oh, and way leads on to way. And sometime in ages hence... I go to grab that thing and it's not there anymore because it wasn't, didn't stay active in my life. And that's what he's talking about here. It's not that he's taking out of, out of mean judgmentalism, going to take something out of your life. But when he's showing you things, rehearse them again. So go back to where we started with talking about September. I rehearse things in September in my mind the things that God has done, because it's been a significant month for me. And I bring them back out. And I want to remember them. Even though I get nostalgic and a little... It's not boo-hooey. It's a funny feeling. It's, it's not like a down feeling. It's just this feeling of overwhelming nostalgia, and I remember. And I, I remember what it was like, not just to be young. All of us have that. Uh, if you haven't yet, you're still young. <laughs> but it, it's different than that. It's, it's the memories, even as we sang that song that John Mark McMillan wrote about how he loves, those are the things we're supposed to flood, the keepsakes. That, you know, and some of them are diamonds, and then some of them are pennies. But they're all important. And he says this, that, to him who has, more will be given. More keepsakes, more memories, more times, more understanding, more value, more peace. So, see, when Jesus gave these teachings, and when he gave teachings about money, Jesus wasn't talking about money. We made it about money because men love money. People love money, which is the root of all evil, not money itself, but the love of it, can grab you. And so we, so we focus when he does this, and actually what he's doing is using money as a symbol and a metaphor to speak to how he builds the economy of his kingdom. 
When is he talking about money? When he is and it applies to your life. Yeah, there's times it is about your money. And uh, all of us need that. So in the rewarding of faithfulness, the first principle is God multiplies when we add. The second principle is he rewards faithfulness. And then the third principle is this, God rewards us fully. That's where we ended last week. A full reward from God is there for every believer. Every one of us is stunning. When was I faithful? You believed. Every time you, you did where we started here with praying for you over remembering the littlest thing that little seed that you, of prayer that you threw up to God and it gets planted. The reward comes back fully. Every believer is blessed. How do you know that? Because he tells us that in Ephesians 1. That we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. I didn't get that. Yes, you did. You may not have heard it. You may not have clearly heard it. Yeah, but God gives more gifts to some. You, again, that's a principle I didn't put in here. But it's not based on amounts. It's based on faithfulness. It's, uh, it's so wonderful. So, Luke 6, verse 37. The reward is God wants to give himself to every believer, this spiritual blessing, and himself and the kingdom principles. So he says in Luke 6, 37, Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into, into your chest, in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Where we most often take a teaching like this is we sort of see it as a tit for tat. It's human nature to see it that way. Oh, if I do that, then I get that. If I do that, okay, yeah, that's like if I work really hard and get a good grade on the test, dad's going to give me a chocolate sundae or a banana split. We think it's that, that type of thing. God will do good things for me if I do the right thing. And really, what's happening here, what Jesus lays out, is so much deeper than that. Uh, it's about how we live, growing in our knowledge and understanding, and grace to walk out what he has already walked out. Would you all agree that Jesus was filled with grace? Massive. It says, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Who lives in you now? Jesus. What is going to manifest in your life? Grace and truth. Jesus is still walking out the grace that he was filled with. He wants to walk out in your life, in this life. As another measure of his grace offering for others. So many people think, I, you know, it's good for others, but I really don't have the personality or you fill in the blanks, whatever they are, 
uh, to influence other people. That's a lie. You have Jesus Christ living in you. You are an influence, whether you ever notice it or not, you're an influence. You are influencing somebody. So it's just not a tip for that. And the best way to approach it, and here's what you have to do, because this happened to me the other day. Make sure you look at the context of what he's saying. Make sure that you don't just read two verses and don't see what's around him. So if we expand it, starting back up at 27, listen to this, because this is actually, all that was was the mini wham. This is the whole structure of, of the teaching that he's trying to say. But I say to you who hear, now remember that whole thing from, from Mark. So I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Oh, how hard is that? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to, do, do to you, do also to them likewise in the same manner. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Notice it's an economic word. To credit to you. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. He's, he's taken two ledgers and he's measuring them. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies and do good. See the context? This is one we just earlier read. Do good and land, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. What? Now that isn't on your refrigerator. Wait a minute, this is one of his principles. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. No. How could, he, how could that be within his economy? Because that's who he is. God's nature is kindness to all. Not to those who deserve it. To everybody, even those who won't recognize him. Now, this really throws American Christianity, because we're actually pretty political with all of our Christianity. Therefore, be 
merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Do you know he's not saying that about God? He's laying out an economic principles that if you're good to other people, other people are going to be good to you. This isn't about God laying a judgment on you. That's how I was always taught. If I don't forgive people, then God won't forgive me. No, if I don't forgive people, other people aren't going to forgive me either. <sighs> Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now the context of it starts coming full circle. And Jesus is saying, however you measure, measure that the same to everyone. It's an economic principle. Don't withhold something from someone because of who they are or how they act or what behavior they have. Love the same. Love the people who don't like you. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I dislike quite a few people. Come on, you have too. Jeez, by age 13, I hated my dad. I'm not, that's not a brag. That's shame that I could, you know. I wish I would have had some understanding of this. It's, it's so precious that we have young people in this house that are hearing this. Because God's going to take this moment of time on, on September 4th. 2022 and when it's September 17th in, in the year 2045 and they're looking at their child and they're going I remember something I heard and it all comes clear and comes back so I bless every young person that's hearing this it counts for you too what this passage does what this teaching of Jesus takes us back to 2nd Peter God is looking and inviting you to add to what you know about him into your own life and lifestyle. When Jesus was giving this, he wasn't giving an edict, he was giving an invitation to people. Does that make sense? It's like, come and learn of me. This was him explaining the passage from, from Matthew. Come and learn from me about these things love the ones that don't love you love the ones that are unlovely because I know the father and he's kind to them how would Jesus want you to be towards them kind I don't know about you The times I was kind to somebody I didn't like actually took great courage. Some would look at it and say, oh, you did the, let's see, Second Peter 1.5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. You were such a virtuous man. No, actually, what I did was, vir virtue is just understanding right and wrong, but it took courage to choose the right. Great courage always takes great courage when you act upon God's economic principles. 
Because you have to make a choice in it. You have to make a decision and then, and then move on it. Uh, virtue, which we're going to come back to next week and, and define and describe all this because really it's the word valor, which is strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness. It's a personal bravery issue. To be a virtuous person takes great personal bravery. It takes courage to do that, and God rewards the courage. It is the acting out of what you know to be true and right and good. And you know it because Christ lives in you. Our flesh can lie to us at times. I didn't know that that was wrong. Come on. That's such a flimsy excuse in the life of a believer. I know immediately right from wrong. So do you. I know when I answer something incorrectly, it was wrong. I know when I see something, uh, it, it was wrong. You know, I think it was... Uh, the Supreme Court in the United States in the early 1950s was uh, first, for the first time, taking on the inch issue of printed pornography in America, whether it was covered under the First Amendment, whether it wasn't. And I can't remember which judge now. I want to say Learned Hand, but that was, he was way before that time. I can't remember which Supreme Court judge, but he, he was asked by a reporter, well, define what's pornographic. And he said, oh, I can't define it for you, but I know it when I see it. That's what, those are right and wrong issues. That we know, but what's hard is to enact the second part, the courage to choose the right. That's valor. That's adding virtue into your life. Um, I want to read you something from, from uh, a book called Trust for Today, 365 Days. It's put out by the John Lynch group, is what I'll call them, True Face. They wrote this. It took courage to go to sleep without the hall light on. It took courage when your parents moved to a new town and you had to insert yourself into another circle of friends took courage to ask anyone to a school dance. If you're a young boy, you remember that. It takes courage to try something you could fail miserably at. Courage. It's doing something that frightens you. It's standing in the face of pain or grief. All humans are capable of it, but there appears to be a courage required for believers that exceed natural bravery. When Jesus planted himself into us, that's what occurred. In the world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. He doesn't say you have to overcome the world. What does he say? I have overcome the world. I, I did this on your behalf. Take courage. I can, if I did it once, get, guess what? I can do it again. 
It takes courage to face mocking of your faith. It takes courage to face eternity. No matter how much we've been taught, heaven is real. Jesus created a basis for your courage by overcoming the worst life can present, death itself. Take courage, friends. I was asked, as I'm getting older, not too long ago, by a friend, if I was afraid of dying. And I said, well, no and yes. I'm not afraid to die and go to heaven. I'm afraid of the process of dying. How it's going to come. The way it comes. So my courage at this point in my life is trusting that my life's still in God's hands. What's well, been in his hands since, since before I could recognize it. Why would it go away now here at the end of all things? It takes great courage to add virtue to your faith. It means choosing right when no one is looking. And it means choosing right when everyone is looking. It means both things. It takes great courage. This week, I'd like you to take this home and we'll look at it a little bit more detail next week. But reread the story of Joseph in Genesis 39. It is an explicit story about God's principle over this and how to act in courage. I love it because in the first verse, the chapter, or the second verse, it says something that doesn't say any place else in the Bible. It's the only time the word successful is used in the Bible. And speaking about Joseph. And it's the story of what happened to him in his life. It's the beginning, of, not the beginning of the story, but what happens after he's sold into slavery. So he gets by Potiphar, and it says this stunning thing. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. His reward for not despising his enemies... was that he was successful. It wasn't having to wait for eternity in heaven to receive the reward. God made him successful. And then you hear the stories and it doesn't look successful at all. It's just, but he chooses the right. He's such a virtuous man. He is the epitome of a, of a virtuous man who chooses right. He gets enslaved by Potiphar. Potiphar sees how smart he is. He rewards him. He's successful. Puts him in charge of everything. And then his wife comes after Joseph. And she's a floozy. <laughs> and she tries to attract him with everything. And then when he won't agree, uh, you read the story. And he refuses to sin against God. You know what the reward is? He gets thrown in prison. <laughs> That's what it looks like to everybody else. But God is kind. He throws him in prison so that he can get re-promoted. And we all know the end of the story. He becomes the second most important person in the most important nation on the earth at that time. 
he becomes the prime minister of Egypt and saves his family and his nation. And because of it, you and I are sitting here this morning. Because some guy went, I can't do this. That's a sin against God. I won't do it. He added virtue and you got the kingdom. What a reward. What a, a phenomenal reward. So you choosing the right thing, to have the courage when you're all alone to choose the right thing. I have a story of this in my own life, but it'd take too long. I know we're anxious to get out of here. So. This in secret, choosing the right thing. And it's like, it's like living in the Robert Frost poem, Two Roads Diverged in a Yellow Wood, The Road Not Taken. That choosing the right goes down a road that few go down when you do it privately and secretly. But God rewards openly. And I have this testimony today. I have a life well lived and I am a blessed man. I don't have everything perfect. I have a good life. My reward's great. And you're part of it. That's what's phenomenal. The thing that Joseph couldn't see is that all the people that would come after. So in the inheritance, by the way, that was given to the sons of Israel, because he had been outside, his two children <laughs> get rewarded equally. It's just, it's just stunning. It's just stunning. The whole story is just there with the economy of God. Read it. Ask God to highlight something to you. Will you this week? It's my invitation, not my demand. Just go back and reread it this week. Read Genesis 39. Say, speak to my heart about who I am and my secret choices. And then don't, don't start repenting. Go to it and say, when was I rewarded for a secret choice? And ask God to show you. You'll be surprised the memories that come up and what he'll highlight to you because he knows all things. Good Lord, if it was repentance, we've all repented enough to bring the kingdom many times over. It's God at work in our life because he's kind even to evil people that don't deserve it. So God... This week, be kind to us. Remind us. Show us. Help us. Not that we would manufacture something, but that we would see again, and that we would hear again, and that would become more than a token that we hide away, but that we carry it in our pocket. A place where we could remember September. That we could remember the ancient landmarks when you met us. Lord, plant some new ones. Set down a memory stone in my life again and again and again. So help me, God, in Jesus' name. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.